welcome B2B startups, change-ups, scale-ups, and grown-ups. This is the B2B Lead Gen Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Schwartzman. Let's do this. Welcome to the B2B Lead Gen Podcast. My guest today is Max Altschuler. He's the Vice President of Marketing at Outreach and CEO of Sales Hacker. He started Sales Hacker in 2013, built it to 100,000 plus members, and in 2018, he sold it to Outreach and became VP of Marketing. Max, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Now, before we get into Outreach and your book, because I want to talk about both of those, let's let's talk for a moment about Sales Hacker. Mm-hmm. So, so how did you wind up building a 100,000-plus membership community for salespeople online? Yeah, so uh, I was working at Udemy, which is an online education uh, marketplace, um, small startup back in 2011, 2012, and they had entrusted me with building out the sales side of the marketplace, the supply side, which was you know getting instructors to teach courses. And I kind of looked at it with – you know, fresh pair of eyes, you know, what if, uh, what if the kind of normal sales process have never existed before? Um, what would I do right now? You know, I had a blank canvas and I started reading a lot of books and, and learning some of the best practices and, you know, layering on certain things that like, um, you know, typically work, but then challenging the status quo on things that, you know, might've been a little more, um, manual than they should be. So I ended up hiring, um, a team of virtual assistants in the Philippines to do a lot of our sales development work and go out and get a lot of our, um, our, our, our leads. I used um, Python, which is a you know, programming language to scrape uh, information off sites to fill out our kind of databases and, and, and um, build some of our intent, which led to the copy that we created uh, for these instructors in, in our emails and phone calls. And then I used an early sales engagement platform called ToutApp as one of their first customers to send all these emails and make these phone calls and things like that. So um, I pretty much uh, built a reputation for leveraging technology and uh, modern workflows in the sales process, or at least hacky workflows, which is why we called it sales hacking. And uh, that led to me starting a meetup, which um, led to a conference, which led to the blog, which led to... Um, we, we did meetups in 32 cities globally, which led to a joint conference with Salesforce called Sales Machine, which uh, then eventually led to the acquisition. During that time, I also wrote a book called Hacking Sales, um, which at, at this point, I probably need a volume two for because so much of the, te- the technology has changed. But um, that was about 2015. So you know, lots of change in five years. It's um, it's been a pretty incredible run. Obviously, um, the good times that we've had in the 2010s decade of you know VC money pouring into technology, but a lot of that money pouring into uh, sales technology. So um, that's been pretty cool. It's interesting. You know, you you switched uh, uh, gears just at the right time because. Um, originally, we all thought uh, edutech was going to be such a hot category, and that kind of sputtered. Yeah, I know. It's, um, it's it, a lot of that is sputtered, but Udemy just raised at a $2 billion valuation. So I guess they're doing okay. I think the ed tech stuff that's sputtered is um, uh, not exactly the 
the same stuff, but, you know, Linda sold to LinkedIn, which was nice. Um, I think a lot of the continuing education stuff is, is, is what has really worked um, and, and still continues to work. So, uh, so Udemy is doing well, huh? I mean, you know, you look at uh, the courses that they have, I mean, there's such a gap in quality, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Udemy is doing well. And I think like uh, a big thing about what um, they've done well and has driven them is not only is it direct to consumer, but now they have Udemy for business. So there's a B2B, um, you know, area of their, of their business now where they get, I think they're doing, you know, somewhere between like 50 and a hundred million ARR. It's a very fast growing, uh, a business. And that spun up kind of towards the end of, you know, my tenure there. So, uh, worked really well for them. So we're coming out of this decade of massive corporate growth, right? And one of the arrows in the growth quiver is, you know, uh, your your product outreach. Yeah. Um, to talk to us about sort of the, the stack, the PR tech stack, and sort of how you wound up at outreach, and and what some of the other uh, quiver uh, arrows in the quiver are, um, yeah. and and how you sort of establish build build out a PR tech stack. Yeah, so it's you know it's PR tech, um, recruiting tech, sales tech. A lot of these things look very similar because they have very similar workflows. So you've got your system of record, which is your CRM. Um, in some cases, that's Salesforce. In other cases, you know it could be a variety of different other you know solutions that are made tailored for PR or recruiting or whatever it is. Um, then you know on top of that, uh, you've got wherever you get your data from, where your LinkedIn. So that's where you you know you find your contact info whatnot. And then from there, you have your sales engagement platform, which for us is mission critical. So if you have people emailing, you have people making phone calls, and you have people reaching out in any you know capacity, you need something that's gonna um, that that you need a platform that's your system of action. You need a place where you can do all those activities, where it's going to be tracked, measured, analyzed. Um, one for you know management purposes, so they can see that you know the reps are doing the right things. But two, so you can A/B test and optimize the things that you're saying things that you're doing, the way that you're doing it, um, and three, even uh, uh, adding a level of automation to it. So we have what we call sequences where you can set up um, automated sequences that have, you know, personalized content in it or, um, you know, value drivers like eBooks, things like that, that automatically go out. So on day one, you know, connect with them on LinkedIn, send them an email in the afternoon, make a phone call, leave a voicemail. On day two, follow up with a LinkedIn message and another, you know, phone call on day three, you know, send them another email on day four, like so on and so on. You can do like a 21 day sequence or something like that to contact them. And it's, and it's, you know, semi automated or fully automated, however you want to do it. And it allows your reps to, to kind of do the right things at the right time every time. Um, so we're, we're building that, that with outreach, um, you know, and, and there are a lot of, new solutions that attach onto that. So you have your system of record, your CRM, you've got your data, you've got outreach, and then the other solutions that, that, you know, come after that are, you know, I'd say less mission critical, but still, um, you know, really interesting, like conversa conversation intelligence space, which allows you to kind of see inside of, um, you know, the phone calls and emails and get some of that information and intelligence that comes from that. So there's gong and chorus there. There's uh, chat like drift and intercom, which allows you to interact with people on a web form uh, instead of a lead form, but interact with them on like a, you know, a chat right on the, the side of your site. Um, and that, you know, really I think increases conversions and, 
And these are things that at outreach, like we have really deep integrations with, and it's really important that your stack is, is tightly integrated so that you don't, you know, you don't have any lag time on your, you know, your SLA from inbound leads. Your, your speed to lead is really important. Um, other technologies, let's see, uh, intent data. So account prioritization and timing is really interesting. Uh, Bombora, uh, there's uh, Sixth Sense, Terminists, uh, those types of companies. And then um, let's see, what else is, uh, what else is interesting? Um, there's like the vineyards and the looms that do video embedded into email. Uh, that's another interesting one. And then there's uh, direct mail, which is, which, you know, is part of uh, sequences th these days. It's something kind of old that now is new um, and, and works really well, breaks through the noise. So you can add in a, uh, you know, direct mail uh, task in your sequence so that, you know, on day five it triggers um, and uh, you send a package to the, the person on the other end. And when you, when they get that package, you get notified in outreach and it automatically triggers the next step, which would be an email or a phone call as soon as they, they, they get the package delivered. So that works really well for us. So, you know, again, this is like semi-automating best practices, integrating a lot of different um, elements of your tech stack. Um, but the ROI, you know, on productivity, but also effectiveness is, um, is fairly high. So, you know, if you can master that, then like you're really on the right track. So I want to talk to you about the 13 elements of a successful cross-org alignment strategy mm -hmm. uh, from the book. But before I do, this episode of the B2B Lead Gen Podcast is brought to you by the 2020 Media Monitoring Buyer's Guide, the most comprehensive current analysis of media monitoring available. This is a vendor-neutral guide with all sorts of useful information about how to choose the right social and traditional media monitoring platform. And you can download the 2020 Media Monitoring Buyer's Guide for free at ericschwartzman.com forward slash monitoring. So, so let's start with, uh, you know, this idea of killing the marketing qualified lead. Why and how do we do this? Yeah, so you have to, it, it's really all about like integrating sales and marketing. It's not about uh, alignment anymore. It's about um, that integration. So, you know, if, if, if marketing is comp differently than sales, if marketing is has different success metrics than sales, um, you're always going to be, you're always going to be off and marketing is going to think that they're winning and sales is going to be like, well, we're, we're still waiting for things that are going to close. And, and, and like, I think that, you know, the stat or the saying is, the death of the CMO is an unhappy CRO, you know, right? So it's like this, if the revenue is not coming in, there's finger pointing that's happening. Now I'm on, I'm on team um, sales development should be under marketing, not sales, but people have different, you know, lines of thought there. But I think that pipeline generation is all one motion, whether it's inbound or outbound, it's all one motion. So, um, you know, putting that on one team makes a lot of sense, but if they're not going to be on one team, then it needs to be deeply integrated and your SLA needs to be, you know, clearly outlined to what, um, what a, a sales accepted lead, you know, actually is versus having all these other definitions for MQLs, SQLs, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, marketing getting comp degraded on something that isn't necessarily going to close or, 
isn't necessarily uh, a good lead. So we've got, you know, we set up uh, a, a whole lot of nurture uh, campaigns, um, you know, ad outreach, and um, we make sure that you know we only we only really count something when it's a, a sales accepted lead. So are the sales development reps at outreach reporting to marketing? No, they're not here. I personally believe that, but this was all set up before I got here. I, you know, I've only been here a year and a half, and um, that's not a change that we made. But we're we are very tightly integrated. Like alignment between sales and marketing isn't just a meeting once a week. It is shared goals. Um, it is um, you know obviously a, a shared way of doing things and an understanding that like we are here to support revenue. What are the we're not here to look? Yeah. What are the common KPIs? Um, SQLs, SALs are the two main ones, and then net new logo. So revenue from net new logo, um, and then expansion. And so net new logo. Net new logo is, um, you know, prospects, new customers. So what what revenue did we get, or what pipeline did we generate from new customers? So pipeline revenue. revenue, projected revenue, not actual revenue. Both. Yeah. And and how do we get to a reliable attribution model? <laughs> oh man, I, you know, if I knew that, I'd, uh, I don't know, I'd, I'd make a lot of money off it. It's it's hard. It's really hard. Um, there are certain things you just can't, you can't measure, and you almost have to like build in a buffer for that. And so yeah, you you have to like, I think in your marketing budget, you have to build in a buffer for like things that you can't measure, things that, you, that like you just know you have to do, things that are gut driven, and I think in your attribution, you know, line, you have to do the same thing. Like, you know, you're not going to be able to get, you know, you're not going to be able to understand five, 10, 20% of, um, you know, what's working. So I, I think that's okay. Like, um, not everything should and can be measured that you do in marketing. When you look at these tools like, uh, like top spot where, uh, you can see who's downloading what document and yeah, we use visible. Using. We, yeah. We, we have attribution, you set up and all that. I mean, just do you, but do you buy into it? Because, you know, you could say, oh, well, you know, it's the people who download this deck and, and use this deck in their pitch meetings close the most deals, but it might just be that they're better, better sales better people. Roles. Yeah. And, and there's, and there's other things that you need to look like you need, you need to triangulate along with, you know, attribution on things like that. Like it could just be that the rep is better. If that's the case, then look at their, you know, for us, we, you know, we drink our own champagne, we use our own product, but we can see, into how the rep is doing the, the rep do the right things at the right time in the deal to get the deal done and if not why not and are they doing that consistently and so like who are our best reps um what are our lowest performing reps and what are the reps not doing is it is it number of activities is it you know what consists uh, what, what the training is or what, what those activities consist of that need fixing um so we, we've got ways to fix that too but you know, we use visible for for attribution for us um, you know, it's never perfect though. So there's always, there's always going to be a Delta. There's always going to be a gap. You kind of, you kind of have to roll with that. Um, you want to get as, as, as close as you can on the things that you know, you can do a good job on anything that's linked, right? Downloadable assets. And then there's the things that you can't get it on. Um, like sometimes we have communities, um, that we're in that sometimes will answer, somebody will answer a question and a lead will come in from that community. We won't know that it came from that community. 
but like it came from a community post. Somebody really liked Average. They posted about it. That person saw it, came in. We might never find out. So you still want to sponsor the community though because you know you're getting value out of it, right? Like some, sometimes it's just a, a gut thing. So um, I think it's really – some organizations, it's really they're, – they're really adamant on like measure everything, get attribution for everything. And um, all the time you spend – you know, trying at least trying to, to do that on some things. It's an initiative that you don't end up doing. Um, I think it could be detrimental. So, so uh, I, I apologize for jumping around here, but as you're talking, I, you know, I yeah. think they're popping into my mind here and I'm thinking about account sourcing and I'm thinking about, you know, for you guys, account sourcing is pretty straightforward because if I'm a Salesforce customer, you know, I'm fair game. Yeah. But you think about so many of these other companies that maybe don't have a full, full stack yet you know they're just getting started their legacy they're on some old system and they're trying to you know get moved over for other companies that aren't necessarily in tech but are looking at crm looking at outreach and looking at some of these other tools to, with the prospect of building a sales a tech stack when you talk to them about account sourcing what should they be looking for to figure out who should be plugged in as an account into their database yeah. So if you're, if you know, most, I'd say most tech companies have like a sales ops or rev ops that's doing that work for them. If you're not in a business where that work is done for you and you have to go source your own accounts, I think you, you, you know, you can do a couple of things and it's all about ICP. You know, there's like a, you will not be successful if you're not speaking to the right people and right people at the right time with the right message, you know, is a, is a key to winning. There's a, there's a story that I used to do in my presentations when I was um, doing uh you know, doing keynotes and stuff like that to that audience about um, girls selling Girl Scout cookies. And so if you're a girl selling Girl Scout cookies, um, you know, what's the best place to go sell your cookies? So this, I read an article once about this girl who went and she set up shop right outside of a cannabis dispensary and she sold her cookies in like record time. And she won like a trophy for most boxes sold. Cause you know, you're, you're, you know, you're there and these people are going to be you know, having the munchies later. So they're going to buy a bunch of cookies. You're shooting fish in a barrel. Yeah. If she set up shop with Girl Scout cookies in front of a gluten-free restaurant, you're probably not going to sell a lot of cookies because one, they don't the eat supermarket the and that's where yeah, you're right? them in front of the exactly. supermarket. Yeah. Because they already got their stuff and they don't eat the cookies to begin with, right? Like right. gluten-free, none of these are gluten-free. You're not going to sell any cookies. So it's really just about making sure you're in front of the right customer. <laughs> And having the, the the right ICP, so when you're thinking about you know and the right accounts, chaperone, of course, too. Yeah, there you go, exactly. When you're thinking about sourcing, you know your accounts, it's really important that they're in your ICP. So, like, where can you go to find um, companies that are competitors to you? Who are they going after? Companies that are complementary to you? Who are they going after? Can you go to their websites and see what customers they have? Um, you know, can you? You know, is it, is it something where you can go on like Craigslist and see, you know, what they're doing? There are a bunch of businesses that are built off Craigslist. When I was selling, uh, so like Airbnb, for example, Airbnb built their their business off going on Craigslist and paying people that were renting out their apartments on Craig, Craigslist to rent it out on Airbnb instead. Udemy, for example, we had to have people create video courses. So we would go to places where video courses lived and we would contact those people. But then also we would go to places where books were, we'd go to Amazon, we'd find authors and we'd say, hey, I saw you write a book on X, Y, and Z. Would you want to create a video course for that? You can get extra revenue out of it. You can, you know, like, 
People sometimes want to read a book. People also sometimes want to watch a, you know, listen to a video course. So we were, we were just trying to figure out like where are our ideal personas, our ideal audiences. Um, you know, so I, I think like really depends on your business, but complementary products, competing products are really good ways to figure out, you know, where your cust- customers can come from. Um, your current book of business. So go out and do like data lookalike on what your current book of business looks like. Um, that's another great way to do it. Um, sometimes it's straightforward and sometimes it's a little harder, but once you start closing, you know, let's say five or 10 unaffiliated customers, then you know that there's something there. So in your book, um, sales engagement, mm-hmm. you write about uh, detailing personas in buckets that reps can use to become experts at knowing where and how to identify a company that has a problem they can solve. So when you're building these buckets, what information about prospective customers do you wind up using most? Hmm. Um, well, there are a lot of different pieces of an ICP. So you've got like an ideal customer at a company level. So what types of, actually you got a couple like industry company now, all the way down to the type of person internally at that company. It's like all about creating that story eventually. So blah, blah, blah works in healthcare at XYZ and company. She's the senior director of sales operations. This is the pain that she has. Like if you can create that customer story, then you can extrapolate out or actually you, you typically use all the things you learn to create that customer story. But coming backwards, you can say, okay, this is their pain because this is what she has. This is the ideal title. This is an ideal company and this is an ideal like industry. So you can look at segments. You can look at say, um, all right, our ideal customer is uh, 10,000 employee plus. So like enterprise, our ideal customer is typically in an industry that, you know, um, does X, Y, and Z. So you can say, okay, manufacturing um, and also like shipping and logistics. Our ideal cost, that, because of that, you can go on and like LinkedIn and find all the companies that are over, you know, 10,000 employees in those, in those two areas, you know, pretty quickly. Or you can use, you know, some, some platforms like HD data or data Nice or things like that through Zoom, Zoom Info um, to go out and find those companies. Then you understand like who cares about this? Like who is there, who are the people with the pain? What are the stakeholders? You can almost do like a account map of what that looks like. So you have um, the person with the pain, the end user, um, the signer stakeholder. There's a bunch of different levels that you're going to have to speak at. So for us, I can tell you about outreach. You know, we have our end user is typically the rep, you know, so like a account executive or a sales development rep. Um, the person with the pain is usually their manager, um, or, or direct, you know, report or the person who runs sales operations, who has to deal with with the tech stack and the data. And then the, the signer and the approver is the VP of sales or the, the CRO. So for us, we have to make sure that like, when we build out our ICP, we're taking into account the industries we're going into, the size of the companies that we're going into, the actual companies that we want to contact. But then in those companies, we have to develop champions at the end user level. We have to um, engage their boss and make sure that like they get, they have the buy-in 
Um, and then we also have to engage sales operations who's going to be doing the actual implementation work. And then we have to engage the executives who are going to be opening their wallets and approving the, the, the budget. And so, and you actually, and this is like a step past your question, but uh, you actually have to develop different pitches for each of them in a lot of occasions. So once you drill down into your ICP and you really understand that, then there's, then there's different pitches that you need to provide to, to each level. It's actually a book by Skip Miller called Above and Below the Line Selling, where he goes into like, um, they all speak a different language. So for us, the, the sales manager speaks, uh, you know, Greek, the sales ops person speaks Spanish, and the, the VP of sales or CRO speaks, um, you know, French or whatever it is, Russian, let's say. So they're very different. And the pitch that you create or tailor for each one has to be different because if you speak, you know, Greek to the guy that speaks Russian, they're not going to understand what you're saying. So if I, you know, if my pitch to a VP of sales is like, you're going to, you are going to be able to streamline your activities and your workflow. Well, that's a pitch that I would give to a rep. A VP of sales isn't going to get, isn't, it's not going to resonate with what does the VP of sales care about? The VP of sales cares that their team is going to hit their number not this quarter, not next quarter, but Q4, Q1, Q2 next year. Like that's what they get graded on. So you have to have a completely different pitch for the VP sales versus, you know, the, the person on the front lines of the end user. So it's not just about understanding your ICP it's, and, and drilling into those different buckets, but it's about telling your message even beyond that to like, once you have your ICP, there's the ICP at the company level. So 10,000 employees, these different industries, these types of companies. And then there's it at the employee level. Here are the three key stakeholders or 10 key stakeholders I'm going to need to engage with um, at that company to get a deal done. You know, sometimes if I'm boning up on an industry for a client and I'm at a trade show, I'll just sort of go around to different booths and talk to reps. And sometimes I'll be really shocked at the, uh, lack of sort of industry knowledge that the reps will have. They may know their yeah. product really well, but maybe they don't know the competition or they don't kind of know some of the bigger trends in the industry. And so, you know, when I, when I, when I read your book and when I listen to you, I, I hear, and then I see these fast growing companies that use this technology. I guess my question is, are the, are, are those companies that are killing it with, uh, with outreach and, uh, and chorus, uh, AI and gong and top, top, Top Spot and all these different, you know, full uh, tech stack, uh, sales tech stack products, or do they basically just have the best salespeople that really care and go the extra mile? Is everyone really, you know, parting with discretionary effort to make sure they know the industry inside out? Are they really using the buckets? Um, you know, what's your experience there? Is it an even application of the tools or do some people use them, some people not? Uh, yeah, I think there's always an uneven I think there's always, you know, with any, any technology, some people that are resistant, some people that are harder to adopt. Um, I think you want to have typically adoption above like 75%, 80% around that um, to have a lot of success. And it's, it's even hard to get there. It depends what, what the solution is, though. Like if it's a departmental tool, your adoption should be much higher. If it's a um, organization transforming platform or something like that, and there's a fair amount of change management involved, the adoption is going to be lower and the companies have, have to do more to force that adoption. Um, and go through waves. Like when Salesforce started, 
where the first C, like online CRM started, that was probably hard for people to adopt that were used to like a their desk. But you know, you eventually adopt it because you know now I don't know a lot of people who use Rolodexes. It's it's gone out the window. And I think um, you know I was on a podcast actually earlier today, and we were talking about some of this kind of like need to have versus nice nice to have technology. And one of the the things that he mentioned was you know he 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 sees that having technology like outreach, Gong, Chorus, you name it, at a company is like. Um, when like college athletes go to visit colleges and they get the tour and they go to the gym and the facilities and they see like all the nice weights and stuff like that, like that they have and they're able to recruit the best talent because they have the nicest facilities. He sees it as the same thing. Like he's like, I want to have our team set up on a really nice tech stack. So like they come in here and they have like all the tools at their disposal to do their best. And you know, they also analogy. have no excuses. Um, and I thought that was really interesting because like that, it really is a game changer. And you also, you end up bringing in the best talent. Like there's, there's only so much the best salesman in the world can do at a certain point, they're at a huge disadvantage. So at, like once upon a time, door to door sales existed and nothing else. And then the phone was invented. So if you were the best salesman in the whole world, amazing, you know, whatever, but you didn't embrace the phone, you were at a significant disadvantage. The only people you could sell were the people in your couple block radius, but the person with the phone could sell anybody. And then when the computer was invented and Wi-Fi and, and email were invented, if you didn't embrace that, then you were still at a significant advantage. So right now, like if you, you know, if you put the best salesman in the world out there and you say, okay, you, you can only do door to door sales and you put them up against an average salesman who has all these other things at their, at their fingertips. I still think the average salesman is going to blow them out of the water because there's only so much they can do. Right. Max in Max in your book, you write that seller focused content is destined to lose. And you know, when you're developing customer centric content, you know, there, there's a lot of stuff you can write about, a lot, a lot of content yeah. you can create. So how do you decide what information is most important to the customers so that you can deliver information that satisfies their needs? And, it's about talking and to the specifically, customers. what data in particular are you looking at as a measure of what customers are interested in and, um, and what they need to advance for the customer journey? Yeah, so... Uh we use a lot of like outward facing blog posts as sales enablement content. So we're able to see like how many people are viewing that and use that as a, as a key measurement. But just, views? Also, just views. What else are you looking um, at? You know, views, CTAs uh, on emails that we send um, to see what, so views would be on blog posts, CTAs and um, response rates on emails or newsletters, things like that, uh, you know, really matter. Um, you're, not, you're not looking at uh, bounce rate or time on page, just views. Um, we might be looking at, at uh, time on page. I'm not sure how much we're looking at bounce rate. Um, you know, we try not to overcomplicate it too much. We're also talking to a lot of customers at this point. Like I'd say it's different for earlier stage companies. They need to be a little bit more granular, granular to like kind of get off the ground. We, we sort of know what's resonating or what customers want to hear. Like we've got enough of them now where they come to us and say like, we want more about X, Y, and Z. 
Um, and if we hear that enough, you know, we'll, we'll create the content. And typically we're pretty good at, at, you know, giving our customers what they want, but also giving, giving our sales reps, you know, what they, what they need. And while it's not seller focused, our sales reps are our front line. So they hear what the customers and prospects want and they relay that back to us. And that's, I think it's really important why your SDRs and marketing also, you know, need to be very, very closely aligned. Cause we want to were When you were in early days at sales hacker, how did you decide what information, what, what stories to write, what, what content to generate? That was, that was less uh, data driven. Honestly, in the early days, it was, you know, here's what I would want to hear about. Here's a, here's somebody, all of our stuff was practitioner led. So like, here's somebody I would want to hear from and here's something that they've been wanting to talk about for a while. Let's give them a stage to do it on. The, one of the reasons why sales hacker was so successful is all practitioner led content. Um, so it was the people that are like doing the work that are in the weeds right now um, at the same types of companies that, you know, our, our readers are at. And that kind of, nobody ever had like a platform to do that before. Like if you're a VP of sales and you have something to say, your options were to like write it on LinkedIn, write it on your personal blog or write it on your company blog. If you write it on your personal blog, you get like five views because nobody's going to that. If you write it on your LinkedIn, you get like 20 because, you know, articles don't get a lot of love. And if, you're not going to write it on your company blog because if you're working for a, you know, BI company, they don't want to, they're not going to post about, you know, some, something in the sales process. So we gave them an audience. We gave them a platform with people with a, a built-in audience, so to speak. So we cared about making kind of like a living, breathing sales encyclopedia and letting the, the best and brightest write about, you know, whatever it is that they wanted to write on. Um, we weren't so data driven until, uh, let's say, I don't know, three years in, we started understanding that like growth was the name of the game and like SEO was like the key thing that mattered. Um, and that's when we started getting really data driven and we let, we let the data from what people were searching for on Google decide what we needed more content around. So sales development, best practices, if that was one of the, the huge keywords, we would develop more content around sales development, best practices and so on and so on. And that's when we really started to get like data driven. Talk to us about the number of touches it takes to get a response. Because I think, I think for a lot of us who are not in sales, I know I get skittish about reaching out to somebody too many times if I'm booking them for a podcast, cause I don't want to piss them off. Yeah. What's acceptable. And, and particularly in this environment that the one, the one we're in now, you know, with the pandemic, yeah. you know, how do you adjust your approach to how many times you come into can make an excuse to contact somebody. Yeah. Um, I'm a big fan of like six or seven seems like a good number and then give it a rest for a little while. And I do six or seven in like a short period of time, you know, maybe over like, uh, 10 days to two weeks and then you give it a rest for a little while and then so on and so on. Now I don't do a lot of prospecting, um, from like an SDR standpoint, I don't have like a book of like 200 accounts, um, that I'm doing, but I do prospecting like one-to-one -one quite a bit. So I will reach out on a lot of different mediums and that actually spreads out the, the abusive feeling from the buyer, I think. So like, you know, if you're, if you're making a call, leaving a voice message, sending an email, sending a LinkedIn connection, sending a LinkedIn message, following them on Twitter, there's a lot of different 
avenues where it doesn't feel like bombarding all, all at like one place. But at the same time, there's a lot of different ways that you can almost add value at scale where it doesn't feel like selling. Like I'm not pitching you. I'm connecting with you. I'm helping you. I'm, I'm sending you some stuff. And then eventually I earn the right to, to pitch. But, you know, I, 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 I say this all the time to salespeople, like your, your job on a, the first conversation is not to, to close a deal. Your job on the first conversation is to get the second conversation. And then the second conversation is to get the third conversation. Like you know, a lot of times this isn't a one call close type of situation. So um, I think if you, if you, if you know that and you believe that and you send your emails or make your phone calls or, you know, touch points or whatever they are with that in mind, you're going to be a lot more successful than if you're like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to send the whole pitch on this one email. Then you're like bombarding people with a bunch of pitches and that's not going to work. His book is sales engagement, how the world's fastest growing companies are modernizing, modernizing sales at how the world's fastest growing companies are modernizing sales through humanization at scale. Max, thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. This is Eric Schwartzman for the B2B Lead Gen Podcast. See you next time.